This is Rocky Snyder. At the tone, leave your name and message and I'll get back to you. Every time I get up in front of the class, my legs shake, my hands sweat, and my stomach begins to hurt. I always end up making a fool of myself. Maybe you just need to be better prepared, Charlie Brown. Welcome back for another episode of the Rock Fit Files. I'm Rocky Snyder, and this season we're kicking it off with a unique book, and the title is The Successful Body. Now, I was honored enough to be asked to contribute a chapter to The Successful Body alongside 32 other leaders in the world in health, fitness, mindfulness, and in this case, public speaking, because my first guest his name is Vince Stevenson, and he is known as the UK's leading speech coach. And also his nickname is the Fear Doctor because he helps perhaps overcome fear of those that want to really do better with public speaking. So Vince, welcome on the Rockfit Files. Thank you so much, Rocky. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, it's, it's very nice to meet, I would say, a fellow author and a contributing author to The Successful Body. And by the way, if you're in the listening audience right now, what I'd like you to do before we even kick things off here is go to Instagram. And if you would be so kind as to follow me, Rocky underscore Snyder, that's S-N-Y-D-E-R, Rocky Snyder, Rocky underscore Snyder on Instagram. And you follow me this week while this airs. And at the end of the week, I will choose one of those names and send you a complimentary copy of The Successful Body. So Vince, tell us, how you got to be the fear doctor. Okay, well, uh, it's a long process, but let, let me just tell you about the name first of all. So in England, probably about 10 years ago, there was this uh, crazy marketing thing where people took on, you know, they're, they're more or less uh, marketing handles. So there was a Mr. Motivator. He was uh, a guy who worked in the gym. And, you know, he did exercise. He showed people how to do exercises on TV. So that was Mr. Motivator. There was also a woman called Super Granny. Uh, and uh, her job was to show mothers how to be a great mother and, you know, look after uh, babies and children and, uh, you know, that kind of support. And I thought, uh, because my name is Vincent Stevenson, which is a quite a mouthful for some people, uh, even even Vincent, for some people, is too much to remember. So uh, I came up with the idea of the fear doctor. Now, very interestingly, if you type in the fear doctor, you'll find me. You'll you know, the, you'll you'll just you'll just find me, and that's great. And you can click on the link, and you'll find Vince Stevenson. But if you try to remember Vince Stevenson, you'll forget. Ah. But the fear doctor sticks with people because it's, it's a, like I said, it's a marketing handle and, and it seems to work. Brilliant. What, what, like what, what, what might give, what kind of moniker would you, you give me right off the top of your head right now? Oh my gosh. Right. So, uh, so you, you work in the gym and yes. you're uh, an expert in movement. Um, the motion master, something like that, maybe. Oh, Okay. How about right. that? The motion master. I like that. I think I might, I, I might do something with it. But how did you become the fear doctor? And I love it. I, I love the fact that you actually, I won't say own the name, but own it well enough where if somebody did a search, they'd find you. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, we, I had a terrible baptism into public speaking. Um, my first professional speech in front of the board of the Cooperative Wholesale Society in Manchester in about 1984, 85 was a complete disaster. So I went in there full of bravado and uh, it was a complete capitulation, profuse sweating, uh, you know, clammy hands, increased heartbeat, nausea, and uh, I felt like I was gonna faint. In fact, I should have fainted. I should have thrown myself on the floor and thrown myself at their mercy, but uh, I didn't even have the, the balls, the courage to do that. So uh, they sat me down, they gave me a glass of water, they, they got some brown envelopes and wafted them to give me some air. And, uh, and I sort of disappeared out of the room five minutes later, not to return for three months. They, they invited me back, uh, but they had sent me on a course 
and um, I'm a very resilient person. I'm a very determined person as well. And I realized that, uh, you know, if I wanted to get on in management and leadership, I, I just knew that I had to conquer public speaking. So this is back in the mid 80s. So in those days, this is pre-internet. Finding help was particularly difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, somebody gave me a book. I read the book. And in the back of the book, uh, there was uh, just a little pointer at the end that said, if you have any requirements in public speaking, uh, ring the publisher. So the publisher's uh, telephone number was in the back of the book. And they put me in touch with uh, a gentleman who uh, who gave me some uh, some assistance. So. Uh, you know that that was that was a beginning, and they let me back in three months later. I, I think I mentioned it. It wasn't great, but it was a big improvement on on uh, on the first one. And and then I just was so determined. I just kept trying and trying and, and looking for opportunities to speak, uh, so that it became one of the. It's just like getting up in the morning. You know, you go and speak to people. Uh, so I was working in in IT. I had to chair a lot of meetings. I had to do a lot of briefings, that kind of material. And I just got myself into this mindset where, how can I improve? What do I need to do to improve? How can I plan my improvement? And uh, and how can I roll it out consistently? So that that was uh, you know that was the trajectory from there on. Uh, some years later, maybe about 10 years later, um, I applied for a job in a training department because I didn't like my boss. That was the only reason I applied for the job, by the way. And um, amazingly, a week later, I was working in the training department, but I didn't have any training experience or anything like that. I'd kind of, I'd mostly mastered the, not mastered, but, you know, I was comfortable with public speaking at that point. Hmm. And, and being an, an educator to train other employees in a specific field. Yeah. Technique. Well, you know, it was, it was all IT stuff. So oh. uh, now I was so desperate to get away from my boss. Um, I, I took on this role and the role was, was awful, by the way, the, the whole project was a disaster. <laughs> Uh, and and lots of people who volunteered for the job, the you know this sort of uh, uh, training job, uh, they they disappeared back to their user departments quite quickly. But I was so determined not to go back. I actually offered. I oh the the project manager went off sick, never returned, and I said, uh, are you looking for somebody to take this project over? Because I'll take it. Because I was so desperate not to go back and work with that guy. And, and, you know, they gave it me, they, they gave me a, a significant increase in salary for taking the, uh, the poison chalice on. But as I say, I had my own motivations for not wanting to go back. So, uh, but very, very quickly, I started recognizing how we could improve the process, how we could do things, how we could change the, uh, the structure so that uh, things would work a lot better. I started creating uh, not not blog posts, but you know facts, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, but then then HTML came in, then websites came in. So I, I created an internet page, uh, and and again I was dis I was in discussion with my colleagues on the project, and I was kind of I took control of the project and started documenting all of our discussions and documenting the procedures and processes, and very very quickly we were getting great feedback. So this, this project would last about two and a half years. We were rolling out um, some software for a, for a huge organization in London. And yeah, I did two and a half years of that. And the, the, the nice thing for me was that uh, I remember walking down the corridor and people who'd been on the course, it was only like a one hour session, but it was like, so it's an introduction to some very important software. And people would people who would normally just walk past me in the corridor were asking me, how's the project going? And, and they were saying that they'd enjoyed the training. And, yeah. and I, found, I found that, you know, I'd never had that kind of feedback before. And I really felt valued. And I thought, hey, maybe maybe this is for me. And when that project ended, um, I had the opportunity of going back to uh, another user department, not the same one, but... Uh, I just felt that, you know what? I need to get in front of people. I want to get in front of people. I feel like I've got some really useful uh, speaking skills, some training skills. I think in IT, you know, most people are really interested in how do, how do things work? 
But what I realized in that two and a half years on that project was how you have to adapt psychologically, how, how your approach has to, to adapt psychologically to get people on site, to make them feel good about themselves, to make people feel good about their learning. Some people, you know, uh, I'm not the sharpest tool in the box. I, I don't always get things first time. Uh, and, you know, you really need to be patient with people, just like with children, really. Don't say that the wrong way. But, you know, when you've, have you, have you got children rocking? Yes, I do. Okay. So, you know, when you're showing them something, um, they're, not, they're not always going to get it first time. And you just need to be really patient and just keep reminding them, reminding them, and reminding them. Now, they're when, you, when like we're working... Yeah, much yeah. Well, I've, I've, I'm, I'm not very bright. You know, some, there are some things I just cannot. It's not that I can't turn my mind to that. I'm just not motivated to, like accountancy. Ah, oh, that just kills me, you know. But very interesting. You know, one of the things that we might talk about later is I'm, I'm running a podcast now, uh, interviewing uh, authors, and a few weeks before I started that project. I'd never done a podcast before. I didn't know what products were out there, what software was out there. I didn't really know how to structure one. But, you know, within about three days, I, I just gave myself three days to do a huge amount of research. And, and a week later, I was inviting authors. You know, I had uh, zero followers. I, so I created a new Twitter account called Boomers on Books and uh, didn't have any followers. And I'm inviting people to come onto this show with no followers. And uh, amazingly, I managed to persuade some, some crazy people to come on and, and be interviewed. And uh, again, the, you're using psychological things there. You, you know, do you, do you, I was asking these guys, do you remember when you started off and how difficult it is? And that's kind of where I'm at. And they said, oh, you know, we'll give you a hand. And, and it was great. The people have been incredibly, generous with their time uh, they've been very very uh, frank as well they've, they've talked about their successes they've talked about their failures and and they talk about the joy of writing and listening to them i find that i find it incredibly um inspiring uh, yeah, and i'm learning i'm learning a huge amount as well I, I find that it is not as difficult getting guests as you would imagine if you're just new to podcasting because a lot of people out there want to share their experience and knowledge with others and when it comes to public speaking this is typically not a live kind of conversation it's just between two people that happens to be recorded so you can allay a lot of that fear and you know going to that public speaking story you you told initially here in our conversation i think everybody probably has a story that they they struggled with initially trying to speak in front of a crowd and in my case several years back i was asked to step in and substitute for a radio host on a show that he was hosting called divorced fathers network and what was happening then is that he was going out of town and 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 he so told me, you know, I've got these guests lined up. One's going to call a few minutes into the hour and the other one's going to call at the bottom of the hour. And here's the topic, even though you're not familiar with divorce in any way, you're happily married with some young kids and all that, just, you can always talk about fitness if you want to. Well, the, the show came up and I'm sitting in the radio booth, which is intimidating enough with the headphones and the microphone right up to your face and the soundboard, you have to know how to negotiate. And there's no caller. And the, the producer of the show was trying really to as hard as she could to find this person that was supposed to be my guest. Crickets. It was like that mm -hmm. dream where you wake up and, and you, you think you woke up, but you're in the hallway of your high school, only in, clad in underwear, walking through and then the bell rings and out comes the students. It was something like that. Well, of course, I had to add uh, improvise and, and just continue, the show must go on, so to speak. Come the bottom of the hour, the other guest did not call in. I had to basically wing it for an entire mm -hmm. hour on live radio. Boy, if that doesn't send little shivers down your back and, and anxiety, yeah. and fear, I don't That's, know. Uh, yep, that is a baptism of uh, fire. <laughs> it was yeah. in my, old, my own cold sweat. I've got to tell you that. So... So that is, I've seen studies or, or surveys when it comes to the greatest fear in most people's lives and public speaking is, is up the top three almost every time. 
What's mm -hmm. that all about, Vince? Um, in a nutshell, it's about an attack on the person's ego. We all, I, I, again, I can give, I can give you some, uh, some good stories. So, yeah. uh, young, young men, young women, they go to university, uh, they get great grades, they get their degrees, they're accepted and acknowledged for being incredibly intelligent and bright. Uh, and then suddenly somebody asks them to make a presentation. And suddenly all of that approbation that they've had in the past, it looks like they're putting it on the line. It looks like they've, you know. Now this, is, this isn't true, of course, but it looks to them like they're gonna be in front of people. People are gonna ask them questions or they might ask them questions and they're gonna be found out. Uh -huh. that's that's what's going on so this thought that they could screw up in public and the, the public let's call it you know uh, I, don't, I don't like the word humiliation because it's not that it's just that you know it's a you know if you, if you look at it as a performance thing then it's like anything if you go, if you go to the gym and you, and you don't know what the exercises are you're not going to perform very well uh, something that we don't do very well in this country is prepare people uh, for the world of work. Uh, these days, you know, I think even Warren Buffett said many, many years ago that uh, public speaking is one of the top skills required in, in any, you know, it doesn't matter what your, your field is or what your specialism is, but if you don't communicate well, the chances of you progressing are limited, highly limited. So, the more fluent you can become, the more uh, ready you are, the more prepared you are for communication, the greater the opportunities uh, will arise. I think that what's what's happened for me, the moment I started getting comfortable with public speaking, the moment I started, you know what they say about, um, you know, looking for volunteers, a, a volunteer is worth a thousand pressed men. So rather like that project that I took on, um, when when you volunteer to take on, you know, dirty work, and you've got some skills, and you you feel like you've got half half a chance of of doing a really good job, then you can create a really good reputation for yourself as a good communicator. And I think that you know, and it's, again, it's these are transferable skills. So when you when you go for job interviews, having it, you know, having a good CV, being able to to speak well, being able to convince people that you're the real deal in, in that interview situation. Not just talking a good game, but actually, you know, I'm talking about having the skills to back it up as well and the confidence to back it up as well. So I think that communication, you know, public speaking is one of those things that's here to stay. I think that the internet has given just about every company, no matter how big or small, an opportunity for, for the owners or you know, key players within those organizations to get online, to talk about their products, to talk about their services, to talk about their companies, and to really present themselves to, you know, to the internet world. And I think it's a great thing. You know, the world, the world has changed phenomenally in, in my 62 years. I know I look much younger, but unbelievably, uh, unbelievably. Un unbelievably young. And, but it has, the world has changed so much and, and we have, uh, you know, some, there are a lot of technophobes out there, but I think for, for the rest of us, uh, the internet is probably, without the internet, I, I wonder what, what most of us would be doing these days, That's not just in terms of work. Well, sorry, I was just saying that that is really an interesting point because it's, this is the age of information. Any, any handheld device can present you with as much knowledge as you're willing to absorb or able to absorb. So it's not for lack of information. So mm -hmm. what, what is it in today's world that someone seeking to improve their ability to speak in front of a group and, and improve their public speaking skills, what is it that they need aside from the, all the information they can glean from Google? I think the most important thing, um, and, and this isn't just for public speaking, uh, and I'm sure you, you, you'll agree with me in, in, in the context of your work, but if you're trying to work with somebody who's got a bad attitude, it's very difficult. If, if you want to achieve something, if you're determined, 
if you're prepared to put the hours in, if you want it that badly, you're going to make it happen. And, you know, I, I run these courses. I've been running courses uh, at the College of Public Speaking for 14 years. And we've seen a, a huge increase in numbers. Um, maybe that's due to marketing. Maybe those people were always out there, but uh, again, at various stages of their careers. And, you know, we, we probably handle a thousand students a year. Wow. So, you know, that's, uh, that, that's pretty good. That's a lot of courses. That's a lot of classroom time. We have a lot of fun. I, try, I always try and make learning fun. I think Walt Disney said, if you can entertain and teach simultaneously and let people enjoy that, that learning opportunity. Uh, so that, that's my style. We, we, we like to have fun. We'd like to keep it light. Um, we're not judgmental. You know, every, everybody who walks through that door is very courageous in, in my book. They're, they're, they're going to be talking to people like themselves and they're going to be they're going to be putting their cards on the table about their demons. And although I don't ask people to talk about their demons publicly uh, in, in a lot of the group exercises, they, they will discuss those demons with with their colleagues in class. And what what we see is that when, when we group those demons together, there, there are certain categories and that those people who often feel like they're on their own and it only applies to them. Uh, they actually see that they're not alone, that it is a common, you know, there are common commonalities between people and that there's no, there's no magic number. There's no maximum number on the number of excellent speakers that we can have. You can, you know, with, through practice and by practicing the real things. And again, coming back to your uh, profession working, uh, you know, in the gym, if people don't do the exercises properly, uh, you're going to screw up and you could seriously injure yourself. And it's the same with public speaking. If you, you know, we, we've got this awful saying, practice makes perfect. But, you know, what if you're practicing the wrong thing? Mm -hmm. What if you're injuring yourself? What if you're creating more damage for yourself than you need be? So we show people how it works, why it works, not just how it works, but why it works. And we look at the psychological and the philosophical end of that as well. And we try and turn turn their situations into everyday situations that they can relate to, and then that they can apply in front of their you know, typical colleagues. Are there certain elements that are common when you speak of practicing poorly? Like, are there certain things that you would want to discourage somebody from having in their repertoire for, for speaking in front of a group? Well, there, there are certain uh, body language uh, situations, you know, uh, scratching, sniffing, playing with your hair, playing with your clothes, uh, hands in pockets, that doesn't look good for men, especially in tight pants. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of things um, in and around body language. You see, the interesting thing about your body language is your uh, people will believe more in your body language than than what you actually say, because and then we have a great saying. It's and that is it's not it's not what you say. It's the way that you say it. Now, if my if I said to my wife, um, so if my wife said to me, uh, "Do you love me, darling?" and I said, uh, you know, I walked over to the window away from her and kind of looked out the window and paused for thirty seconds and responded with, "Yeah, of course I love you." I think she'd be pretty overwhelmed with that, don't you? <laughs> but interestingly, if I if I sit her down on the sofa, if I sit next to her, if I take her by the hand, if I look her in the eyes and touch her cheek, and I t and I tell her, "Gosh, I love you. I've always loved you." What what do you what do you think would get the be the better reception? <laughs> oh, there's an obvious answer yeah. there, of course. I I love you. I mean, it's the same words. It's the same three words. I love you, but it's not what you say. It's the way that you say it. And you know, politicians know this. Uh, salesmen know this. Ev everybody should know it, but most people don't. And and that's why a lot of people who are very bright, very qualified, have great experience, knowledge, and professionalism. They don't interview very well. And your body language says a huge amount about what you're thinking and what you're feeling. 
and you've got to send your body language needs to send the right message to the right audience. So that's perhaps on the poor side, scratching, preening, primping, and pulling on your clothing. Uh, but positive aspects of body language, are we talking just being upright, yeah. tall and I, relaxed? I think standing, standing up straight is good. Um, again, and there are good physiological reasons for that. You, you know, you've got a muscle here around about solar plexus height. You've got your, your diaphragm which is lower end of the lung. So when we stand up straight, gravity, and when we breathe in deeply, the diaphragm expands and it comes down. And as we speak and speak and speak on that breath, the diaphragm contracts back to its default position round about the solar plexus. So by standing up straight, you're, you're gonna have greater vocal dynamism. Your voice will be richer, it will be stronger. You'll sound more confident. You know, if, if, if I spoke to you, you know, how would you, how would you feel if I conducted myself? <laughs> you know, you'd probably think, oh, Vince, Vince is going to fall asleep any moment. Let's yeah. let's wrap this up now. Yeah. So seriously, our body language says a huge amount about what we're thinking, what we're feeling. And of course, the, the energy in our voice when we're talking is very important as well. Now, I, when when you combine these elements together, I think that you can create something, you can create a presentation, you can create a message that people would want to listen to. And it's just practicing those things, those key things that work. And the more you practice the things that work, the more consistent you become. I could see an, uh, a very beneficial activity being something where not quite pantomiming, but where you're trying to get your message across through body language without any verbal cues or, or message whatsoever. Is that something that you've played around with? Um, the, there's lots of ways of exploring public speaking. Uh, you know, you can do improvisation. One of the things, when I moved to London uh, many, many years ago, I didn't know a soul. About half a mile away from where I live, there's a, there's like a, it's an amateur dramatic theater and it's, it's like a 50 seat theater it's very small and on friday nights they used to uh, they used to have uh, you know theater workshop nights so you would be on stage and uh, they, they would they would give you exercise everybody would do something with their voice and uh, it, was, it was mostly quite comedic as well it was funny uh, and we, we would act you know we'd all stand around with our our papers, reading Shakespeare and doing this and that, but, you know, mostly having a lot of fun. For me, I, I went along to, to meet people because I didn't know anybody locally. I thought it'd be nice to have some friends in the neighborhood. Uh, and it was, it was very, very useful for that. But standing up on that stage and talking to people and doing vocal exercises, and that's something that I've always enjoyed, by the way, and something that I've been teaching for many years, vocal exercises. Um, it's a great way of spending an afternoon. Uh, you can have a lot of fun and you can develop your voice and your confidence and your rhythm. And uh, th those are good things that you can do when you're speaking. Now, going back to the time before internet and you explored your first public speaking class or workshop, I imagine there, there is or are one, two or three items that, that you still hold true as an initial lesson in public speaking. Is that, is that an accurate statement? And if so, what are those things that you've held on to all these years? It's a, I just feel that the, the public, public speaking is a huge subjective jigsaw. The, there are two aspects to it. There's the, there's the physiological aspect, you know, there's the body language, there's the, you know, the posture, there's the, you know, the, the use of your hands and gestures and movement you know and there's nothing wrong with with movement and walking so long as it's appropriate and not distracting there are things that you can do that, that always work and again it's i think the, the the skill is doing the right thing at the right time most of the time i mean again so it's, it's quite subjective but if you're doing the right thing at the right time most of the time i can guarantee that you're, you're doing 
pretty damn good you know you're doing a good job you're doing and that's what we want we want to be consistent now uh the other major issue that uh, i should have mentioned earlier and, and it's probably the, there's one word that keeps that has kept a very good roof over my head for many many years and the, and the word is perfect uh, there are a lot of perfectionists out there and uh, that that makes life awkward for themselves because what are the subjective criteria for perfection in public speaking now whatever you you know if you were to try and answer that rocky and you know and you can get anybody to try and answer that i'll just disagree with you and i can disagree with you because i can because it's a subjective issue and it's it's like sport you know who's the, who's the best basketball team who's the best soccer team um who's the best uh who's the best at this who's the best at that now when when you're playing a game like golf objectively the guy who goes around or the woman who goes around with the least strokes is the winner totally. and the nice thing about the olympics is you know you, you look at the olympic mottos you know higher faster you know those kind of things the the guy who the you know the man or the woman who hits the tape first is the winner the guy or woman who jumps the highest is the winner now if you ever go to a speech contest if ever you know somebody should invite you to be a judge at a speech contest because uh, this is really funny because you'll you'll get um, you'll get like a score sheet and you you will mark people on body language posture facial expression uh the the message the delivery you know there's lots of different entities that make up the message or the delivery of the message and what you'll find is let's say you have uh, five judges you will have you probably have five different winners yeah because you you'll all got, have the same objective criteria but you will all apply them subjectively certainly and then what happens is you all start not start arguing but you know you you will have disagreements amongst the judges about who won and it's exactly the same with uh, with politics what why don't we all agree that you know that we like this president or that president why don't we all agree that we like this painting or that painting you know economics again it's another subjective discipline whatever you bring subjectivity advertising marketing do you market your gym yes of course you do. yeah right so you know you know the old adage about marketing uh, you know 50 percent of what our marketing works and 50 percent doesn't we just don't know which 50 percent it is you know and and it, yeah it's a subjective challenge bless you it's a subjective challenge and the most important thing about public speaking is to get up there and to speak to people look by the way eye contact looking people in the eye now if i start talking if i start looking away you're going to start thinking something very important or more interesting is happening over there True. rather than you know even, even through a screen so you'll be thinking oh vince is distracted uh, this isn't going very well but just looking towards the camera now, you're thinking, uh, yeah, you know, we're connected, we're engaged, and this is good. So, again, eye contact is a huge aspect of, of public speaking. And again, uh, if, if I kind of burn my eyes into yours, that's a little bit too much, and you'd feel very uncomfortable with that. But similarly, you know, if you're talking to a group, let's say you've got 10 people in the group, because that's, that makes the percentages easy. You know, you're, you, ideally, you'd like to give that person 10%, that person 10%. You'd like to give everybody 10%. If you just keep looking at the same person all the time, they could get the wrong impression and everybody else could feel excluded. So you've got to feel socially confident to actually look people in the eyes. And it's, it's a bit like, you know, when, when you're a rookie data, when you, when you, if you've not, if you've not been on a date before or you're not familiar uh, so, for example, I found dating very, very difficult when I was a young man, simply because um, I grew up with three brothers. I went to an old male school and I played soccer all my I was just surrounded by men everywhere and very few uh, young women. So, you know, the dating game was a, was a huge uh, shock for me. But uh, again, there's, there's only one way you can improve, and that's by by going out and doing it, you know, getting the experience of going on the dates. Uh, and you know that that's how it works uh, and if you're smart and i think most people are pretty smart 
uh, you learn from you learn from your mistakes and you try and improve the process. And, and that, that's what most, uh, you know, what disappoints me sometimes with with some people that I know is that they get to a certain plateau, they get to a point where they feel really comfortable. And if they pushed on, they could be incredibly exceptional, but they don't. They, they, they hit their comfort zone and they think job done. But if they just pushed it a bit extra, and you probably see that in the gym as well. Yeah. Those those guys who, you know, they, they kind of achieved their goal and they're pretty happy with that. And, and then they'll go to the bar, you know, for six weeks uh, to celebrate. You know, well, we see and, it you know, when people just are living within their comfort zone yeah. and it becomes uncomfortable over a period of time because nothing's changing. And so they come to see us and we need to make them uncomfortable in certain ways so that we can expand their comfort zone. And what do you know, their world opens up. You know, you also are coaching or teaching politicians, world leaders, non-government organizations, those NGOs. And I imagine that like myself, you have a certain assessment protocol, but when it comes to public speaking, like the different elements of a judge might be scoring upon, like you told us earlier, is that how you work with somebody at that level or, or anybody in particular, whether it's your classes or, or politicians, how do you assess what needs to be worked upon? Okay. Um, well, the, the first thing that, uh, that I do is I look at the individual, yep, and I, I, I observe them. We give we give them exercises to do, uh, so we, we'll get two so two people like you and I. Let's say we met on one of my courses, and we would do an exercise where we would have to exchange information, and then disseminate that information about the other person. So I would introduce you, and I'd, I'd tell everybody your name, where you were born where you live now, what type of work you do, and, you know, uh, marital status and children and that kind of thing. Uh, and that, that's going to take like a minute and a half. Uh, but the, the actual collation of the information might take uh, two or three minutes or maybe five minutes. It depends. So people get up and we video them. And I'll give them some feedback on what, what are they doing with their posture what are they doing with their eye contacts what are they doing with their hands so there's lo there's lots of things so i'm looking for things that are working and whatever's working you know I, I i don't like tick boxes but i'll talk about what's working and i'll also give them some feedback on areas that they could improve on okay so maybe a bit more eye contact over here maybe a bit more volume in the voice maybe you're not speaking very loud and and you know people are struggling uh to listen so you listen to the individual then you give them feedback but you give them feedback in a very non-judgmental way okay so you know the word criticism criticism actually means pro and con but but most people because we have a negativity bias we mm -hmm. tend to focus on all the negative stuff. So I don't like the word criticism. I like the word feedback. I think feedback is, is really, really good. So I give them, I give them the positives, then I give them the, uh, you know, the areas for improvement and then I try and, you know, wrap it up and round it off on a positive note. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel like I'm shooting them down. That doesn't help anybody. So I'm incredibly, I always want to be incredibly supportive of what they're trying to do. As I was saying earlier, these guys are my students. I want the best for them. I want them to get great outcomes down the line. Uh, but the other thing I ask everybody is, you know, once they walk into the classroom, whatever you know or whatever you think you know about public speaking, abandon it. What really? I want to do, yeah. So. What I want to do effectively is a deconstruction. So just forget about everything you know and everything you think you know, and we're going to I'm going to build you up from the foundation so that we're all on the same level. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that way, it seems to work. It works very very well. Um, people 
people as as they do more exercises as they get more stage time as they you know deliver more messages their confidence improves that we start working you know what i think you know i was saying about uh, this affront on the ego it's very difficult to to be yourself it's very difficult for the real you to come through when when you feel like you're being judged uh-huh yes yeah so what we try to do we want people to bring out their their knowledge their experience their professionalism um, we want them to bring their education we want them to bring all of their personality their humor their charm you know all, all the good aspects of their their personality I, I ask them i invite them to bring it into the classroom and to bring it into their speech making okay so that they're just talking instead of yeah, two, there, there are a couple of words that really freak people out one is speech and the other is uh, presentation but if you turn those speeches and presentations into conversations just like you and i are having a conversation now and and we're having conversations all day every day by the way and and those those conversations aren't scripted you know there, there are no you know they're, they're just completely dynamic Mm-hmm. So I ask people to to bring the, all of their skills into the classroom, uh, to talk conversationally the way they would, like you and I are having a conversation now, and forget about speeches and presentations, and just share the best of your knowledge, your skills, your experience, and your professionalism. And just remember that everybody in the classroom is in the same boat. We're all here to help each other. We're all here to support each other accept each other and that's that's another thing as well by the way i think uh, i think i found myself i mentioned dating was very difficult um initially and i think that if you if you struggle to to accept yourself it's very difficult to accept someone else uh-huh. i think that that was the big learning thing for me as a young man is that uh, I needed a little bit more self-love. I mean, there's a lot of bravado out there. You know, I, I used to be a very, though I say it myself, I was, I was a good soccer player and uh, that, that made me a lot of friends and it gave me a lot of opportunities and everybody knew I was a good footballer and uh, gave me special treatment for that. Even my dad gave me special treatment for that. He was very proud of me. And that opened a lot of doors, but, on the outside, you know, there was a lot of bravado, a lot of young men's bravado. But on the inside, I was very unsure of myself. Uh, not not about football. I was pretty sure about football. I knew I could do that. I knew what the requirements were. I worked very hard at it. And very interestingly, I think football for me was a great escape, but it also taught me, teaches you how to win and it teaches you how to lose. And it teaches you how to be a good sportsman and how to show respect for your your colleagues and your competitors and i think how to be a you know better person and you know when you can bring those into your professional skills when you can bring that into the office or the gym or you know whatever whatever professional environment you work in you know if you can be a good person even if you're not the best speaker people can can still see all the positives in you well, you just mentioned so many things that I could spend uh, another hour unpacking here, but just taking on a couple of them right now, one thing you asked all of your students is to talk about themselves, which means that they are the only expert of themselves for the most part. And, mm-hmm. and that's wonderful because you tap into one of their strengths of knowledge and experience just by having them share themselves. And the other part being that all the elements and experiences that I have gone through in my life, you can attribute value to such as this was good and that was bad. But in the end, it all is what brought me to this point in time. And so I can look back with regrets if 
That's how I want to look at that. Or I can just appreciate every event for what it was. And that was a stepping stone, a learning moment, a, a, a victory. We could, we could label it that way too. But nonetheless, everything brought me here. So once I can accept my foibles and my successes equally, then am I able to, to express myself in ways that I might not have otherwise? That's what you're saying. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves, you know, as, as I said, to be to be perfect. I think women particularly are very hard on themselves, you know, uh, especially mothers, mothers, they, they, you know, they, they, their children are crying or they've not got this or they've not got the right shoes or, you know, they're never they're never happy, uh, even though they're doing a great job. Do you know what I mean? They, uh, my, my neighbour upstairs, very nice woman. She's got two great uh, young boys. Uh, but, you know, I, I was talking to her a couple of years ago and she was very sad. You know, she's, she's saying that one of her sons is a little bit, uh, you know, his behaviour is a bit unusual and she blames herself. And, you know, but the kid's a lovely kid. You know, he's just a little boy. You know, he, he runs around like a little boy and he gets in trouble and falls over and makes mistakes like we all did and uh, I said he's, he's like just to me he's a great kid he's just like a normal kid but you know she's beating herself up over the, the kid because he's not perfect you know uh, but she's not perfect either and she's she's upset about that but you know you this is the whole damn thing about perfection because uh, you know what are the subjective criteria for it you know you you you're chasing the impossible dream. You're never going to get there. And, and if you're of the nature of beating yourself up, uh, you're going to give yourself a lot of um, a lot of opportunities to do so. I love how you fold that into public speaking because it isn't just about skills, but it's your own interpersonal relationship. Now, I do have another question, and it it concerns the background for those in the listening audience. Vincent Stevenson my guest here, has been talking with a backdrop of what looks like the planet Earth, but at night with lights lit up on the planet's surface in the dark of space with almost a corona of light that encircles the planet's outline. So can, can you tell me a little bit about your choice and backgrounds? Certainly. So um, I, wrote, I wrote my book, The Fear Doctor, about seven years ago. I only had it published last year because... Uh, well, because of COVID and, uh, you know, I was furloughed and I, I had some time to, and I found the right person who could help me get it, uh, get it published. So that was a real breakthrough, but I chose the book cover many years ago and the book cover has a picture of, uh, it looks like a moonscape, not, 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 uh, not the earth like this, but uh, there's a moonscape. And I read this book by a famous advertiser, he's an English advertiser. This guy was saying that lots of companies every year spend millions and millions of pounds on really smart, subtle uh, advertising campaigns and don't get any return on them whatsoever. And they, they're overthinking things. They're trying to make things too, too, too clever. And this guy says, all you've really got to do is be different. Yeah, do something different. So I read that book, and a couple of days later, I was um, I was just I was looking I was looking on um, is it Shutterstock something like Shutterstock. I was I was looking for something, and I saw this moonscape, and it just it looked brilliant. But you know, it had the it had the stars in the background, and it it just I just thought, wow, that is a great image. And then I connected the two ideas uh, and that was I was going to stand in front of this moonscape in my suit and invite then I was you know I have a videographer a guy that works with us and I was going to make this introductory speech you know you know with the green screen thing oh yeah and I'm going to make the going to make the introductory speech to the course and at the end I'll be standing there in front of this moonscape and I'm going to invite uh, people to come to my course and you're going to make an out of this world speech. <laughs> so the idea was they were wondering, you know, what's the moonscape thing? 
all along. And then right in the last five seconds, I invite them, you know, if you're looking to make, it's a bit cheesy, but uh, it's but it's different. It's Memorable. a bit cheesy. But uh, if, if you want to make an out of this world speech, you know, give us a ring and we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen for you. Oh, oh, that's well, you know, cheesiness goes a long way. I'll sell. I'll sell. Oh, I, I like cheese. I like cheese. Yes, it sells millions and billions mm. a year. Well, Vincent, I can't believe this has been uh, an entire hour spent. Just I know it's gone very quickly. I, I love it. You know, you have a good conversation when time is uh, no matter and it's it just flies by. So yeah. thank you so much. And now you are the leading author here in the successful body as in chapter one is yours all about public speaking what a wonderful way to kick it off and tell me for those in the listening audience that want to explore public speaking and a little bit of advice from yourself the fear doctor how can they get a copy of that book okay well you just type the fear doctor or vince stevenson as if you can remember vincent stevenson vince or vincent stevenson and it's on amazon uh, it's amazon.co.uk uh, and uh, .com and it's not very expensive it's only about uh, it's about seven or eight dollars something like that so it's not it's not expensive but uh, I've I think I've got about 30 reviews 29 of them five stars so yeah I'm, I'm very I'm very happy for you know it's, it's only been out there for for nine months or so um, because of COVID and because we've not been able to be in class uh, we've not been able to sell as many books as I would have liked, but you know that's just the way it is. And uh, I, I wrote the book, I you know originally as a compliment for people who'd attended my courses. Uh -huh. So you know I think I think that once we get back to the classroom, um, I'm sure I'm sure the book sales will improve dramatically. Well, I, I wish you well with that for sure, and I want to thank, thank you very much taking some time and coming on with me. I honestly, I, I love having guests on because I walk away with more information and insights. So thank you for providing that today. And that's it for another episode of the Rockfit Files. Thank you, Vince Stevenson, Fear Doctor, for coming on the show and sharing some insight. Now, if you want a copy of The Fear Doctor, just check the descriptions below this podcast and you'll find out how you can order yours. Don't forget also to follow us on Instagram, Rocky underscore Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, and you can be eligible to win a copy of The Successful Body. Want to thank you for listening. Make sure that you subscribe if you haven't already and share the word. Get out there and tell people all about it. We'll see you next week.